Welcome to episode 119 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast with today's guest, Derek Mendoza. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Derek Mendoza. Very happy to have you here, Derek. Great to see you again. How's it going, my man? Great to see you, man. It's going well. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Excited for this. Uh, yeah, and looking forward to this conversation. For those who may not know, Derek is one of the organizers of the Raise the Bar event that I attended. And you'll remember from some podcasts back and many guests since then have been from that event. I've got the t-shirt on today that you can't really see. And one quick story just to hype Derek up. And Derek, I don't even know if you'll remember this, but at the event, there was the the one dinner, the one night, and uh, we were all there. I we were, I was going home back to the Airbnb, which was mistake number one. If, you, if you're going to raise the bar next year or any other event, stay at the event hotel. Don't get an Airbnb. Even if you save just a little bit of money, it's not worth it. Going back to the Airbnb, I'm sitting out there outside of the hotel waiting for the Uber, which Uber's in Dallas. Again, I, I don't know what was going on, but it was a crazy time for Ubers in Dallas. And Derek walks by. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm just waiting for an Uber to, to go back to the Airbnb. He said, cancel it, get in the truck, let's go. And so that's like, that's the kind of guy that Derek is, drove me home and uh, and that's that. So I just want to give you a chance to sort of introduce yourself a, a little bit more, Derek, and tell people, you know, who you are and, and what it is that you do. There's a lot of things, but how do you best introduce yourself? Absolutely. Well, I mean, first off, that's just, you know, I come from a small town, so that's kind of the way we are, right? You see anybody that, you know, is sitting out, doesn't have a ride. I mean, come on, let's go. Uh, yeah. So I've uh, been in the industry about almost 18 years now. I came up in the private sector where I worked in the strength conditioning industry and I had, uh, I was working for a company where we would actually provide the strength conditioning for high schools. We had contracts for high schools. And so that's pretty unique thing. But in Texas, that's kind of a, a big city thing, you know, um, so the coaches don't have to worry about the strength conditioning. Did that for five, six, seven years. Now the opportunity to, to run a sports performance facility did that for a little while and eventually had the opportunity to jump into professional sports, professional baseball. And so I did that for eight and a half years. And so I've kind of had um, quite a array of, of experience in different areas throughout that time while I was working in professional sports. I had people reaching out that I had previously worked with in person that wanted to start training, which I had no idea about how to do. And I started doing online training and the online training turned into putting on online summits, it turned into workshops and turned into, uh, you know, finding a business partner like Nick at an event. And then we end up putting, you know, starting a business together, a side business together. Now we put on events, we put on Raise the Bar and that was our second annual one. So we're just getting started, but excited about uh, the trajectory and where it's going and where it's headed. And, and most importantly, the community that we're building with it. You gloss over the professional sports thing as if it's just like some ancient history, not that big of a deal thing. It's like the pinnacle of like anyone who ever starts training people's like, oh, the first thing we think is I want to train pro athletes, whatever city you're in, whatever your favorite sport is. How did you end up in that role? Because that's not like, you know, there's only whatever 30 teams or 32 teams in each league. There's not that many jobs in that role. How did you actually get there? Uh, you know, I when I was running that sports performance facility, I had a uh, really good friend that I was training at the time. And then I also started getting a lot of professional baseball players that were in their off seasons. They lived in Dallas that I was training. So I kind of became like a, a little bit of a baseball guy. And, uh, you know, 
they would always mention to me like, why don't you try to get into baseball? You know, and that was kind of intriguing to me because at the time when I was running the sports performance facility, it took me away from doing what I actually loved the most, which was training. I was, I went from training, you know, 30, 40 hours a week to then I was training like 10 to 15 hours a week and I was managing people. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, as they started to, you know, tell me you should, you should think about doing it. It started to become a real thing. Like, okay, yeah, I think I want to become a part of a team. I, that's how I've been my whole life. I've been an athlete and uh, I knew I missed that. I missed that camaraderie. Right. And so uh, I I ended up looking up and there was three positions available and I I ended up interviewing for all three of them. Uh, Two of them got back to me right away, said they'd be interested if something else opened up, but they already filled it. And one of them actually was interested and um, end up, I think it was two or three weeks later, I flew out to Peoria, which is the spring training facility of the Mariners. And by the end of the weekend, got offered the job and the rest is history. I started off in the Dominican Republic, though. So I had to go to the Dominican and and uh, or got the opportunity to go to the Dominican and help set up their multi-million dollar facility they had just opened. Um, helped set it up, helped get the next strength coach in there to to build that, and uh, then came back to the U.S. and and the rest is history, I guess, huh? Yeah, for sure. I mean, hearing that story, it it actually brings back bring back, brings back a lot of memories of the insights that I learned from the raise the bar, and a big part of it was. You know, you, you didn't set out to coach the Mariners or, or to coach to be a strength coach of, of any other baseball team. You were just doing your thing and then you had worked so hard at perfecting your craft and being good and your network and all these things that when the opportunity presented itself to take this job, you were ready to do that rather than just doing everything you could to, to force yourself into that position before you were ready, where you just actually, you know, you did your thing, you got really good at coaching people. It ended up that you got really good at coaching people in baseball or or baseball players. And then when the opportunity was there, you just took it and ran with it, which is something for me as, you know, someone who's much newer into the industry and much younger is like, you know, hearing all the speakers and hearing yourself, you know, I've been in this industry for 18 years, you know, 18 years ago, I was 10 years old. Like I wasn't. (laughs) And, and so for me trying to, trying to compare myself to to some of the things that that you've done and so many others is like, it's a little bit ridiculous to think that I would even be close to anywhere for that because I just haven't, the time hasn't passed for me to have put that time in to get where we want to go. So I think, you know, the takeaway for a lot of other people is in, in any job is like, you can't just get to the top. You're not just going to, you know, graduate from school and then become the CEO. Like you've got to put in your time, put in the hours and like be ready and be ready to accept those opportunities when they present themselves. Now, where, where I want to take this with you is like, did you have this sort of like long-term game in mind? I know we talked about just before we started recording about pivoting quickly and like making quick decisions to push yourself forward. But did you have sort of like a career trajectory in mind when you were starting out? Now, I think when I was starting out, my plan was, you know, when I was in, I played college football. So while I was getting my degree and then end up getting a master's degree, I thought like for a little bit, I want to get away from athletes, which is mm-hmm. such a weird thought now that I think about this. It's like, man, I don't want anything. I want to go work with regular people in the fitness space somehow. I didn't know what that was going to look like. And then I got the opportunity to uh, start working for this company that was a local strength conditioning. And I fell back in love with it. I'm like, oh, this is absolutely why what I need to be doing. 
But from there, what I thought was I was going to end up in some kind of like college football because I'd actually gotten offered a position with Rice um, back in, you know, I think it was 2008, 2009 uh, to, to be on their, you know, college football uh, uh, strength conditioning team and end up not taking it for several reasons. But I thought that was going to be my trajectory. Right? I thought that's where I was going to end up. Nowhere in my thought process did I ever think I would end up in baseball. First off, I kind of thought it was a little boring, but I <laughs> loved baseball because I played it, right? Um, but, you know, as I started to work with baseball players, so intriguing. The skill level that it takes to play that sport and then the knowledge that it takes to learn the differences between positions and stuff is what really intrigued me. And then I fell in love with it. I'm like, oh, you mean you can't train – your pitcher the same way you can train your shortstop and your outfielder the same way you train your shortstop and the catcher the way you train anybody, right? It's just intriguing. I fell in love with it. And so, you know, going back to, to you know, what you were talking about earlier about your trajectory and not knowing where you're going to end up. And sometimes people get a disservice done to them by being put in a position that they're nowhere near ready for. Now, there's there's some people that get put in a position where they're not ready for, but they have the skills necessary to step up and learn some things and it works out. But on the other end, there's some people who ha- haven't learned the skills yet. And then they get put in this big position and now everything falls apart. Right. And then they, they lose their confidence. They, oh, well, maybe I wasn't that good. Maybe. I, and then they're just, you know, so sometimes it can be a disservice. And so it is about going through those experiences and letting them take you where they take you. You don't know where they're going to take you. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. Just to that point, I mean, you've got to go through some experiences to actually learn what it is you want to do, because what you think you want to do sometimes ends up not being as you go through these experiences and learn these new skills. You realize like, man, I definitely don't want to be there. I want to be here now. Right. I think that's a really good point for a lot of young people. And I know some some friends and, you know, friends of friends and whatever, um, Coming out of school in, in various industries, a lot of people don't know what they want to do. They're, they you know graduate high school and it's like, oh, maybe I'll go to university or whatever, but like I'm not really sure what I want to do. And I think a big part of that is trying to figure out what you don't want to do. And so, you know, at least try something and it's like, all right, well, that sucked. I, I wasn't good at it. I didn't enjoy it. Like none, none of it was good. Well, you can at least knock that off the list and then try something else rather than just trying to sit back and like look at the world and be like, well, what do I want to do? You're not going to figure it out by just sitting there. You're going to figure it out by going out and actually doing things. And then you'll find, you know, by some process of elimination, something that, uh, that, that you do want to do with the, with the accepting roles that are maybe you haven't done before or anything like that. Did you experience a lot of imposter syndrome? And I know this is something that we kind of talked about at the conference, but was that something that you went through stepping into the, into the Mariners role? Every step of the way, like every single new opportunity I've had, I've had imposter syndrome, right? And it's, you, you have this self-doubt, you have this, um, am I good enough? Why did I even get this opportunity? Like, oh, they're going to, I'm going to get exposed once I actually get there and they see that I'm not as good as they thought I was, right? You, all these thoughts go through your head, like every step of the way, but especially jumping into professional sports. Because you don't know what you don't know, right? First off, it's hard for an outsider to get into professional sports unless you're going really entry level, like hard to get in, right? Because 
especially baseball, the lifestyle is so difficult, right? You're on the road three to four, every three to four days, you're, you're in a plane, you're all these different things. And it's not, it's hard for a person who's never been in that to understand what it's going to take. And so first off, that was already, I didn't know what I didn't know. And once I got there, I was like, oh my gosh, this is not what I thought it was. Right. (laughs) And not in a bad way, but in a like, whoa, there's so many other areas I didn't even think about. And so then even more so that piles it on. It's like, oh, well, not only am I having to deal with not feeling like I have all the knowledge I need, but now I have all these external things that are like, oh my goodness. So yes, that imposter syndrome continues every new, the thing that happens is it doesn't go away completely. But what happens is every new opportunity I have, I have this inner confidence that I know I'll figure it out because I've already figured it out 35 other times, right? And it's that experience that we just talked about that has given me that confidence because when I have stepped into something new, that it was uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I can do this, right? And all those little things end up bringing you up to having more confidence. So when a new opportunity comes, I just learned to say yes, right? Say yes, and then I'll figure it out because if I give myself too much time to think, I'll start feeling that imposter syndrome. Oh, well, maybe you're not ready for this. Maybe you're not good enough for this. Maybe you shouldn't do this, right? So yeah, definitely. It doesn't completely go away. You just learn how to deal with it better and how to let the inner, what I like to call the inner hero take over, right? You have that inner villain that that imposter syndrome comes up and then you have that inner hero that just has to take over. Which voice are you actually going to listen to? One of the best ways that I've heard this kind of idea described, and it was in a little bit different context, but it relates, was um, Alex Hermosi talking about just doing difficult things. And and I don't remember exactly the, the, the story, but it was something about like rushing a frat or something like that. And the things that they were doing were hard. And then he said to the guys like, hey, this is what hard feels like. You knew this was going to be hard. This is what hard feels like. And it's okay. You're going to be fine. You're going to get through this, but you've got to get in there, do it, go through the thing. And then every other time it's going to be a little bit easier. And this is some of the stuff like just with fitness and, and all fitness stuff. And I think ice baths is probably one of like the, the main thing here is like people love to like crap on the ice bath. Now it's like the new, there's like this whole group of people who just like want to film themselves in an ice bath every day. Like, like, oh, hard I am. And then there's everyone's like, oh, it's bad for hypertrophy. It's like, well, okay, maybe there's somewhere, maybe there's somewhere in the in the middle here. But it's like, if you can get in that ice bath and like, yeah, that's a difficult thing to do, then you can do other difficult things too. It's like a little microcosm for the the rest of your life and fitness and your job and your relationships and all that other stuff. But just going through the things and getting through it is like, hey, I can actually do this. I am capable of rising to the occasion when I'm called upon based on my past experiences and my past skills that I've gained. And I can do it again in the, in the next time. Absolutely. Now, what we spoke about a little bit earlier with, with the pivoting, and, and this relates very much to what you were saying about some of the unexpected things about working in professional sport. There's a ton of travel, a ton of stress. Things have to happen like instantly. Like it's, you know, it's very cutthroat. It's very performance-based, all that stuff, which is what makes it what it is what point did you notice or did you know that like it wasn't something that you wanted to do for forever? And how did you go about, like how hard was it to actually make that switch to decide like uh, it's time for something else? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think after probably the third year in, I knew that this couldn't be a long-term thing for me because um, it's very hard in your family. I have two kids, I have a wife and, you know, coming from, you know, just a traditional Hispanic family, 
family is everything, right? Like family mm-hmm. is, I mean, your family knows everything about you and, and you more so are a private person to a lot of other people, which I've had to learn to work through. Right. Uh, but, you know, so family to me, it's like, man, I'm missing out on all these things. And while this is fulfilling a certain part of me, I had to start looking at what is it fulfilling? It's fulfilling the fact that number one, like the number one thing I miss about it after a year of stepping away is the camaraderie. Like you can never replicate that, right? Like being in day in and day out with the players and the coaches and you get to know the coaches' families, the players' families, They're tr- some of them travel with you, um, you know, and, and it's like, they're your family. And then all of a sudden you step away and that's gone. And it's like, now I have this awesome opportunity where I can work from anywhere, but also I don't have that day-to-day interaction, right? And so, um, yeah, going back to, I knew that at some point I was going to need to step away. And I already had an online business where I was training people and I had already started to transition a little bit into, uh, you know, doing some online summits. But I knew that I needed to do something on the side because if and when that point came that I needed to step away, I needed to have something to be able to rely on and to step into to build. And so, yeah, that that I knew I, I had known about the third year in that there was this couldn't be long term for me. It was great. It was fun. I loved the traveling. At the same time, I hated it. <laughs> that even makes sense. But uh, yeah, I knew about three, three and a half years in that it was there's going to need to be some kind of transition or some kind of role change where I didn't have to travel all the time, which doesn't really happen unless you want to become a coordinator, which I had no no want to. So yeah, then you'd just be going back to what you were doing prior to that, which is managing people and not actually coaching. And that's the thing that you wanted to get out of in the first place. And then it's just like this vicious circle of like rinse and repeat the the same things. Right. So you were actually planning your exit before, before it happened. And you knew that it was, you knew that it was going to come eventually, but you were starting to put some ground work down just to be prepared so that when you did leave, you weren't just like starting all over again from zero. Right. Yeah. And, and the way it ended up happening, I mean, I don't know how deep we need to get into this, but, um, yeah, I've never even really talked about this much, but, you know, when the whole COVID thing happened, um, Seattle was one of the first teams to adopt the vaccination. And uh, for my own personal reasons, I feel very strongly uh, against it for my own, for myself. Um, and I love the fact that everybody can have their personal choice. And before, so before you continue, Derek, feel free to speak as freely as you like on this topic. I, I'm not going to stop you and I'm not going to say, say your piece. So, you know, I, I, they started requiring you to be vaccinated and that was not something I was willing to com- compromise with. Um, and so as that started to move forward, they were initially supposed to fire me, but they didn't. And so what they did was they let my contract expire in my next contract. They said they were giving me a contract as long as I was willing to get vaccinated. And I wasn't. That was so that allowed me to leave in a way where I felt like I stood for something that I believed in, but also get some closure. And I knew I probably should have left a couple of years earlier, but I didn't because I let the little things that I loved about it keep me there. Um, so yeah, so yeah, it was, it was one of those things where it kind of came together. It was like, okay, it's time to move forward. I'm not, I'm not going to get vaccinated. Um, I've I've gotten COVID twice and literally had no, 
no issues, period. So um, for me, there was no reason to go put some in my body when my body had already shown that it could work through it. So yeah, so that that's actually how it ended up happening last October, and and uh, it's it's been it's been a blessing. Yeah, it's it's incredibly difficult for people to realize how how hard it is to say no to something like that. Like again, you had like the 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 cream of the crop of jobs in training, right? You're you're the trainer for a professional sports team. It doesn't get much better than that on paper, right? And to say no to that over something that many other people would have just been like, oh, well, you're being an idiot, Derek. Like, go just get the vaccine. Like, who cares? You know, that's that's very difficult. So so I commend you for for standing up to that. And I think, you know, to to bring this back in a little bit is like the the key there is that you had stuff set up uh, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. COVID impacted all of us in fitness, obviously, like a, a lot and, and to varying degrees and whatever. And I have my own stuff with it and change the course of what I was doing, I didn't really have that much stuff set up for what was coming next. So everything has been like building since since that time. And and that's okay. It, it is what it is. Like I can't change it. So I, I can't go back in time and change it. And uh and and it is what it is. But sometimes having that that closure as well where it's like it's really hard to walk away from something that it was a good gig that you had, but it wasn't so bad that you needed to get out of there instantly until until it was right and so it wasn't so bad and so having this like the excuse of covid and whatever to be like all right well we're just going to go our separate ways on this thing and you and you you use that as the catalyst to move forward is um is is lucky in a way right it's brought you to everything that that you are now and i don't know how you feel about this but you know people have asked me if i have any regrets in my life just in general and you know of course there's some things that i i probably wish Maybe I, if I could go back in time, I would do it a little bit different. But at the same time, like I like where I am now and everything that I've done up until this point has got me to this point. So I'm not really sure about the answer to that question. I would th- say that like I don't really have any regrets. There might be some decisions that I w- I've definitely made mistakes, but it got me here. So I think that that's, a, that's an okay thing to or an okay place to be. Absolutely. I don't really know where I'm, where I'm running with that whole thing, but just to just to highlight, you know, the difficulty of that decision for for people who maybe are not in fitness, which is most people listening to this, um and and how to actually make that call and and really stand up for yourself. Um and and I think you know, another place to to go down here is this is switching gears a little bit, but it coincides with standing up for yourself is a thing that you've spoken about, I've heard you speak about, is being brutally honest with yourself. And this is with your business and with one's fitness. So, you know, make the analogies in your own head as we as we go here. But being brutally honest about where you are right now and where you want to get to. If you think you have, you know, you're making uh, whatever, $10,000 a year and you want to make a million dollars next year, it's like, well, what are you actually doing and how do you get there? So how did you come to this, like, this idea of brutal honesty and how do you kind of like use it in your own life and, and coach it to, to others? You know, it's... <clears throat> I think along the way, as you, you mentioned, uh, we do, sometimes we, we do a lot of things that we feel like we wish we would have done different. Maybe we don't completely regret it, but those are all learning lessons, right? And because I'm a, I tend to be a very like logical guy. Like if it makes sense, it makes sense. If you, if you want to tell me the sky is red, but I look up and the sky is blue, you can't convince me otherwise unless you show me some facts, right? And so because of that, I think I started to get pretty good awareness of things that I struggle with. And so when I struggle with things, 
a lot of times what I used to do is just glance over them and go with what's comfortable, right? And what I saw was it created this pattern. And so I got to a point, I was actually working with a coach and uh, with the business coach and, and you know, I, I was doing some other continuing education that was a lot more, excuse me, personal internal stuff, which I love to do now. Um, and I started to realize that I do, I, I speak a lot of, I was speaking a lot of like what I call half truths, right? Mm-hmm. Is there right? But they weren't completely right. It's like I was leaving a little piece of it out. And, and subconsciously what that does to you is it starts to build up this, tr- uh, this miss, like not having trust in yourself because you're kind of lying, even though you're not really lying and you're not being congruent to who you, who you're trying to portray you are. And so, uh, what I learned to do was just having to get real with where you're at. And one of the processes that I work my coaches through is the get clear. I call it the get clear tool, right? And I learned this partly from Dean Graziosi and I took a little bit from uh, Ryan Lee. And so what it is, is it's, it's basically taking a look at, instead of looking towards the future all the time, it's almost like taking a, a step back, right? And taking a step back and looking at, what are some of the things that I have done in the past that I don't necessarily like or that I want to change or that, you know, gave me these certain feelings, right? And then you take a look at exactly where you're at right now, what, whether it's your finances, whether it's your fitness, whether it's whatever area of your life that you're not liking, and even the ones you do like, where are you currently at? Being real, put it on paper. And then you take a look at if I just had the best year of my life. I just had uh, the one full year, 365 days. I just lived my ideal life. What does that look like? Like how much money do I have in the bank? What do, uh, what do, do I spend more time with my family? How much time do I spend with my family? When I wake up, what do I do? Am I, where am I when I wake up? Right. It's kind of like getting them to, to build that compelling future. So that way they understand if they work on this stuff that they need to work on, this is where they can get and it can be very real, right? But first it starts with, you have to know exactly where you're at and you've got to stop BSing yourself. And so once you can get real with who you are and what those things are you're struggling in and be okay with, here's the other thing, you have to have somewhat of a network around you that you can actually throw your arm around your bro and tell him like, hey man, like, dude, This is something I'm really struggling in and and I want you to hold me accountable, right? And I didn't have that for a long time. I had it right by me, but I wasn't uh, allowing that person to be that to me, right? And so as I started to get more open and and started working on a lot of these things, I started relying on, you know, some of my best friends and being really open with them about what I'm struggling in. And hey, hold me accountable if you hear me here, if you hear me. Um, saying these type of words that lead to this, right? And so once I learned to be held accountable by people and be okay with it and not be an ego strike to me, uh, a lot of things changed. And so having that network or at least one person that you can have look you in the face and say, hey, Derek, that's, that's, that's not really what you said you wanted to do, right? And then you Instead of like, oh, well, don't tell me what to do or, you know, why are you telling me? It's like, hey, you know what? I asked you to do that for me and I appreciate you holding me to the standard that I said I was going to live up to. Right. So I think there's a lot of ways you can go about it. But I think number one is the awareness. You have to have the awareness 
that you're actually BSing yourself because you can BS yourself so long that you start believing it. And so you have to have that awareness that you're BSing, you're BSing yourself. Once you have that awareness, then start finding the process to work through it and then have somebody that can hold you accountable, even if it's a coach, right? That's what fitness is so great with. You know, you, you can have a coach and the coach isn't supposed to be the one to hold you accountable. I've changed the way I thought about this. He's a guide, right? He or she is a guide. It's a guide, but there is a little bit of accountability that has to happen. Now, if you're a beginner, for sure, right? But like now, you know, a lot of people, as you start working up the ladder and you start to get to the place where you're like a high performer, high achiever, like you don't necessarily need to hold those people accountable. You just need to give them the one thing they can do to make a difference, right? That was yeah. a long-winded way of saying it. <laughs> that, that was a long one, but that was that was extremely good. And the reason I was like, you know, smiling so much as you're saying that because this is more or less exactly how I how I coach most of my clients, and something that I repeat on the podcast endlessly is just about being super aware of what it is that you're actually doing. Because a lot of times, what we think we're doing and what we're actually doing are are not the same. And so you think that you're, you know, you're eating right and you're exercising right and you're going to bed on time and all this stuff. And if you actually sit down and write it down, it's like, well, I'm actually going to bed. Like I get in bed at 11, but I don't, you know, I'm scrolling on TikTok and like doing my stuff and I, and I fall asleep around like one o'clock. Okay. Well, that's not great. Oh, I think I'm eating great, but you know, let's, let's actually look at your diet and it's like, well, you had mac and cheese on Tuesday. You had uh, McDonald's for lunch on Thursday. And then you, you know, had an extra large pizza by yourself Friday night. It's like, well, yeah, it's, 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 maybe it's not horrible, but like it could be better. And so being, you know, very honest with yourself and just being aware because a lot of it is, is subconscious. We don't do these things to ourselves. We don't self-sabotage on purpose, exactly. right? We, we do things to ourselves that negatively impact us because of, you know, Past. a multitude of psychological factors. That's like, you know, totally individual, like a whole, you know, hours and hours of conversation, <laughs> but, but we, we have to be very honest and it's, you can be very hard on yourself about trying to hold yourself accountable, but being accountable to other people, like there's only so much your willpower is going to, going to take you through. I think it's important to like work on that muscle and, and, but it's also important to like realize that, you're not just going to be able to willpower your way through everything. You're doing the things you're doing right now because that's how that's what your willpower is allowing you to. Now you can be more aware and change that, but having someone there to to guide you is uh, is important. And I also like how you differentiate between a coach being more of a guide than that accountability person, right? Especially in the online space, like I can't be there with my client, holding their hand, smacking cookies out of their hand, and driving them to the gym. That's not a realistic situation. And so if I need to text you three times a day to say like, Hey, just a reminder, don't eat cookies today. Or, Hey, just a reminder, go to the gym. Like that's a little bit ridiculous. Like I'm not a babysitter, right? And there's a coach relationship. And so this is where like, you know, taking some accountability for your own life and this like whole personal responsibility notion really comes into play. And it goes across, it goes across everything. It's very difficult to do. There's going to be some like hard times looking in the mirror and like, damn, I'm, I'm not who I said I was. And, you know, you, but you can become that person and it just takes like some hard work and, and some guidance. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of that, I mean, the way I look at it now is a lot of that is identity, man. Right. Like is you have to help people shift their identity or get back to the identity that they had or create a new identity most of the time. Right. It's like, we, we talk about a lot about finding your deeper why. Okay. Well that, that's really good to start off with. But once you find your deeper why, you have your actions have to start lining up with who you're saying you're headed to be so you can build that confidence 
to where it eventually becomes your identity. Like, oh no, this is who I am now, right? And then now it becomes like, my coach doesn't have to hold me accountable. He doesn't have to. All he needs to do is tell me what the next step is because I'm going to take the next step. What's that next step, Daniel? Oh, do this? Okay, I'm going to do it, right? Because now their identity is, they built confidence in these things that, oh, this is who I am now. Let's go ahead and, you know, not to jump too too different into a pattern, but I think a lot of times when people go through these like eight-week, 12-week fat loss programs, right? And it's like, okay, they lost X amount of weight and pounds and fat loss, but they got given a program, given a meal plan, and then all of a sudden at the end of the 12 weeks, they didn't learn anything and they didn't even change. They don't, they didn't become somebody new throughout. So now mentally they still feel like that old person. So they go back into their old habits because they didn't create that new identity. They didn't become somebody else. They didn't transform their, their, their mindset and their internal self along the way. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I know that, you know, these challenges are selling something as like a six week program or an eight week reset or a 30 day challenge or, you know, whatever it is like it works because it sounds like, oh, yeah, I can commit to something for for 30 days. I can, you know, do a 10K step challenge for 30 days or, you know, whatever the thing is. And that's great. But it has to be the the beginning of something. It can't just be like, all right, it's the 30 day challenge and then we're done. It's like, well, it's a 30 day challenge and then what comes next, right? Like you can do, you know, people do crash diets and stuff for summer. I don't, I think that there's a lot of hate around those things. And I think that that's just because it's, it's fun to like make fun of things on social media and like it gets attention and all that stuff. But like, if you do it intelligently, it can be a very powerful catalyst for making a change that is lasting way beyond that that 30-day or six-week crash diet kind of thing. But it's very hard to sell it to someone like, hey, instead of this like quick results, you're going to like change your life and do all this deep inner work and like it's going to be very hard. And I'm like, fuck that. I have no interest yeah, in that. Like, just just yeah. give me the secrets, man. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it, right? Exactly. 100%. Right? And it's the same thing that let's say people who've been in fitness... I've been, a fitness, I've been lifting weights since I was 12 years old, right? I fell in love with that when I was 12 years old and is watching my dad lift weights all the time. And, and so it's like even people like, let's say when I was in some of the best shape of my life, I, I was doing things really structured, right? And then summer would come around and be like, you know what? I need to lean up a little bit. I need to get cut up. And I would get really even more structured and, and people would call it crash dieting, but I was pretty structured before that, right? So for people to say it's a crash diet, I mean, you could say whatever you want, but it helped me accomplish to go a goal. And then I got right back to my structured way of doing things, right? So, I mean, yeah, I think sometimes we have the negative. I, I think what you said hits it right on the head. That's a great spot to begin. That's a great beginner. That's a good way to pull people in, give them what they want. And then once they see some results, they want to work with you longer and then you give them what they need, right? Yeah. Give them the basics, you give them the understanding, you take them through the journey. It's something that I'm starting to come to terms with more for my own business and for my own sake, that sometimes you got to say what people want to hear, but then you give them what they actually need kind of thing. And that's something that I'm I'm getting better at and you know going through it. But um, I think that there's also it doesn't work for everyone that like super hardcore, like, you know, dial it all in approach doesn't work for everyone, but there's 8 billion people in the world. There is going to be some amount of people who that works for the same way. Like there's like some amount of people that the carnivore diet is like the ideal way for them to live. And some people that being vegan and everything else in between, like there is a lot of people out there. So, you know, trying to be everything to everyone 
makes you like nobody to any everyone and that's not a good place to be so trying to find your your people and and you know sell your service because you're actually helping people and this is something that like you helped me really realize w- w- with your talks at the at the raise the bar event is like selling is a service it's not you're not doing a disservice by selling you're not you're not scamming people unless you're selling them uh, a, a lie or a or you know snake oil but if you're selling yourself or your services and not selling yourself selling your services and and helping people then that is uh that is a good thing for the world right if you're genuinely helping those people yeah because what what ends up happening is when you feel bad about selling and you have a really good service, you're really good at what you do, that what ends up happening is you don't sell to certain people that then go work with other people who aren't as good as you, who aren't as knowledgeable as you, who aren't as good of a coach or a guide, and they end up not getting the results that they were promised. And so now it's harder for them to buy. Their resistance to buy or invest in something that can actually help them goes up. And so now you have a harder time selling to them. So if you would just look at it as, hey, I have this thing, I know it works, right? And I know I've seen it work with my clients. I know it can work for other people. Like, why wouldn't I want to sell it to somebody? You're okay with when somebody asks for a restaurant recommendation, like, oh yeah, go to this Italian place because they have the best meatballs and they make them like this, all these things. But whenever somebody, when it comes to you and what you're selling, it's like, I don't feel comfortable with it. It's just, it's just so weird how that plays in your head. And I used to be that way. So I understand that, right? Uh, but yeah, you should feel like you're doing a disservice to people if you aren't selling them when you know that your product or your service can help them, when you know you can get the results. Now, if you, if you don't know that 100%, go back and get that experience, right? Go back in whatever that area is, go get more experience, more experience, and then get to the point where you know you can deliver that. Can you tell the story about the t-shirt analogy where you, yeah. and, and just to yeah. exp, like further expand upon that? Cause I thought that was a great one from the conference and I think it'll be like really good for people to hear that one. Yeah. So I had my, my first business coach in 2016, I believe. And, uh, we did some, you know, he was really good. He helped me do some like deep internal work and started asking questions like, um, uh, trying to figure out what are those things that I'm not good at. Um, and so selling was one of the things like, I don't like selling. You know, and so, you know, we do started doing some work through that. But one time we were on Zoom and I just I, I had this shirt on. It was a, a collared shirt, fit me really well. And uh, he asked me, he was like, hey, man, I love that shirt. It looks good on you. And he said, uh, well, where'd you get that? And so I told him, you know, I got it at such and such place. And I was like, man, I really love it because I have wide shoulders. And whenever I go to a regular store and buy, like, uh, I need a double X for my shoulders, but then it looks really baggy down low. So, you know, this one is fits good in my arms. It, it fits really good on my shoulders. It, it slims down a little bit, so it doesn't look super baggy. And I was like, but you got to go get it at this place because uh, I, I try to buy it from these other couple of places and it was more expensive. But not only that, like all these other things, right? And he's like, oh, I thought you said you didn't like selling. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, well, he caught me, right? It was like, no, you do like selling. It's just that when it comes to you, you have some internal beliefs and you have some things going on internally that are causing you to think that you your, your service isn't good enough. What are those? Let's dig into it. Let's figure that out, right? And so I thought that was a brilliant way of him bringing that to my to my attention and it related right away. I was like, oh man, okay. I, I see what's going on. I see, 
I see how I need to reframe the way I think about sales. Yeah. I've always been taught that like a good sale shouldn't feel like you're trying to get money from someone. It should just be more of a conversation explaining like what the actual thing is, what are the benefits, like why they should be interested in, you know, the product or the service or whatever. And then it's just like a natural progression. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy that rather than like, oh, but, oh, it's too expensive. Oh, take this. Or, oh, it's too expensive, but here's, you know, handle this objection, handle that objection. Like when you start going through all those things, and I know a lot of sales coaches go through that, like they have this list of objections and you're just running through them. It's like, well, now you're just, you're coaxing this person into buying the thing. Like they don't really, it wasn't obvious. They didn't really want to buy it. And so now it's, it's just becoming a horrible process. And this is where like that slimy salesman kind of thing comes in. But if it's a good sales process, it's just, it's just natural. It's like, all right, here's my services as a coach. We work this, here are the tangibles, you know, we have this many meetings, this many programs, whatever. And here's the price. And they're like, okay, sign me up. (laughs) That's how it should really end. That's actually, I mean, that's exactly how it should be. Sometimes your job as the guide is to make them aware that they do need you, but not in a pushy way to say, oh, you need to buy this. I, I was on the phone last week with a guy. I went to uh, Vince Del Monte, had a mastermind. Um, Bedros was there, spoke at it. It was, it was awesome. Uh, but it was a couple weeks ago in Houston. And I met a guy there that actually knew me through uh, Raise the Bar. Um, so that was really cool. And so I hung out with them. We had dinner that night. And uh, later on, he, he ended up calling me last week. We connected. Um, because he wanted to put, you know, a product together. And as I was, you know, walking him through the process and listening to him, um, I realized like he wasn't ready for this yet. He needed to figure a couple things out. So what I did was I just walked him through the process of what he should do first and then see if that works. And if it does, then come back when he's ready. And then, you know, we can work together. And so a lot of times, like you're making it harder on yourself if you sell to people who you know aren't ready or aren't a fit right now. And it's hard to get to that point when like you're in a financial situation or you're in a situation where you're like just starting your business and you need customers, right? Or you need clients. And so I think that's a really good uh, statement by you is like, yeah, it shouldn't feel pushy and salesy. Now, sometimes you have to guide them to understanding how much they do need it because you should care about helping them, right? But it shouldn't come out of a of the area of like, man, I need to make this sell and that's why I'm pushing them. No, it's like I know I could change this person's life if I if I help them go through this. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the other side of it too is understanding the cost of not doing it, right? Like someone who's struggling with their health, struggling with their with their weight or, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, my services are gonna cost X. But like if if you don't hire me and you just continue on the way that the path that you're going down, like, here's what's going to happen to you right? You're going to continue to, your health is going to continue to decline. You're going to continue to gain weight and all these things. And it's like, not to say that in a negative way, like hire me or else, but it's like, you've got to make a change, whether it's going to be me or it's going to be another coach. I I don't really care. I just need you to make that change for your own sake, right? Of course, I would like to work with you and whatever, but like, I need you to make that change for the, for the sake of yourself and for your family. And I think even to, to relate this back to like an individual's fitness is jumping too far ahead in their fitness goals. Like you said about the the person you, you had dinner with there is like, well, you're not ready to put out a product and, and do all these things yet. It's the same as someone who comes into the gym, never worked out and says, Hey, I want to do, um, uh, you know, barbell snatches. It's like, well, maybe we need to like learn how to do a goblet squat first. Like let's, you know, but you don't also 
you don't know what you don't know, right? You see these things on TV, like, oh, I want to do that. Okay, great. I want to do CrossFit. Awesome. Mm -hmm. But like, here are the steps involved in getting up to that level. It's not like you just walk in and do it. That's Mm -hmm. the recipe for for disaster. And of course, the same as your business, right? You want to sell like, I don't know, whatever, some some supplement like that's going to be in Walmart. Like, you might be able to do that, but not on day one, like not your first company. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not how it's going to go. Yeah. Right. It's just understanding the steps to the process. And again, this is where like a really good coach or a really good guide really comes into play. And I, and I think one of the keys here also is relates to what I was saying about the cost of not doing something, but it's buying speed. You can pay someone to guide you along the way and not just guide you, but guide you away from making mistakes that are going to cost you way more time and way more money in the long run. And I know that this concept of, of buying speed is something that you're a big fan of as well. So if you could just kind of explain that and talk about that and some of the ways that it's helped you in, in your personal and professional life as well, I think would be really helpful for, for a lot of people here. Oh yeah. I mean, paying for speed is the number one thing I'll do over almost anything business wise. Um, I, I'm a deep thinker. So a lot of times for me to go in and figure a new thing out, it takes a while because I want to learn the ins and outs of it. But what I've learned is that I can pay somebody to teach me the A to Z journey of that and save me a ton of time, which in turn saves me money and in turn helps me make more money. Right. And so when I hired my first business coach, one of the things they did was I I didn't want to spend a ton of money. But I had to because I got to a place where I started doing online training and I didn't even know what the heck that meant. I didn't know how to do it. And so the way I was doing it was not really working. And because I had such a loyal group that I had trained in person before, they were all sticking with me, right? So I had that going for me, but I didn't have the system set up. And so my first business coach right away helped me see like, okay, you got to put this in place, this in place, this in place. And all I did was follow the step by step and then I was like, oh man, this is so much easier now that I have these, this framework and this automation going. And, and so that was the first, you know, business wise, um, thing I paid for speed. And since then I've invested so much money in paying for speed. Um, right now I'm taking an AI course that I paid a ton of money for. Um, I'm, I'm working with, I, I just bought a course also from Ryan Lee, just lots of different things. I'll pay for speed, but it has to be specific to what I want to do. Right. I'm not paying. I'm not going to go pay for somebody that tells me I can help you build a business. That's too general. Right. If it's somebody who tells me like, okay, I'm going to help you on this exact thing. And that's the thing I'm, I'm needing help in. That's the beauty of niches of niching down. Right. And so, uh, like I've said this multiple times, if somebody, if somebody is selling me something and they send me 500 videos, I would rather get the person who's going to send me one video that's 20 minutes long that tells me exactly what I need to do than the person who's going to send me 500 videos from everything they've ever created or done, right? And so I just want to know what's that thing. Here's what I need help in. Who can help me get there the fastest, right? And then I'll pay for speed all day because I know it's going to accelerate the process. And then I can go then. It doesn't just help me because then I can go in and it helps my clients better. And then they learn something and they can help their clients better. Or, you know, it's a trickle effect. And it's that I talk about a lot going from uh, growth to contribution, right? Growth is where you're just growing. It's all about you. It's like, oh, let me go read this new thing. Let me, but once you actually start coaching people and guiding people and walking people through a process, that's when you move into contribution. You start contributing and helping them. That's the trickle effect because then they help people and then those people help people. 
And it's like, it started with just you, but because you're willing to share your knowledge, now you've helped coach after coach after coach after coach, the same way that my mentor did, right? So that's, to me, that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's like this compounding effect of like, you know, there's only so many people you can you can help in a day. Like a really easy analogy is like training people in person. You, if you're like really grinding, you can do like 10, 12, maybe 14 sessions in a day. And like, and that is a, a lot, but that's like only, you know, 10, 12, 14 people, which is amazing. You're making a huge impact in those people's lives, but you could be helping hundreds of people online or maybe, you know, maybe tens of people online, let's say, or hundreds. And then if you start coaching other coaches or, or expanding that into different avenues, it can turn into thousands of people very, very quickly. And you continue to pass on like the good message. And I think that's how we really uplift like the whole industry is like the good people, you know, continue, need to continue to stick together and to invest in each other and learn what we can from each other. And then, and then that will just spread like throughout everything. But it is difficult, I think for some people, for for me included in the beginning to like start to invest in yourself and realize like, okay, I'm going to pay, you know, whatever, 500 bucks or a thousand bucks for this course. Like uh, I'm not really making money right now. It's COVID. Everything's closed. Like, am I really going to, how am I going to get my money back from this 500 bucks? Then you, you do it and you realize like, oh wow, this, this saved me like a month's worth of like research and, and trial and error and all this stuff. And now I made that 500 bucks back in, in a week. So like, it's no, it's no issue. And then the next thing just becomes like so much easier. And so I think that, you know, I'm not sure how other industries work, but I know like the conference kind of thing in fitness is very good because there's so much collaboration between the industry, which I think is, which I think is great. Um, because we're all really trying to say the same thing and it's just, how can we get the message out there. Like none of us have some secret coaching method or some secret like nutritional strategy, like, Oh, eat this one berry from the Amazon rainforest and you're going to be shredded. Like no one, that doesn't exist. And so we've got to, we've got to find a way to like work together and work against the people who are making those kind of ridiculous claims to, to continue to get the message out there. And just this, this building of community, right? We all the, what's the saying? The high tide raises all ships, right? We're all going to grow together. Absolutely. I think that's super important. And I think to piggyback off of that as well is like, okay, let's say when I, when I was building my online business, I needed to find a coach that knew how to build an online business, an online fitness business. So that was very important at the beginning that I'm reaching in into the fitness community for the help. And then as you get further along and you start, um, you hit a certain point in business then what you need to start doing is looking outside of fitness so you can learn things to implement in fitness, right? Because sometimes the things you learn within fitness take you to a certain level. And unless you're following some of the right people, you're not going to be able to take that next level unless you step outside. And so that's one of the things that I've continually done now. And Jonathan Goodman talked a lot about it in his fireside chat. Um, is, you know, you got to go outside of the fitness space to learn, especially about money, because the fitness space and the way they view money is not good, right? And the way you invest in money and the way you do things with money. And so, you know, when it comes to like things like I was just talking about AI, I'm just taking this course, 16 week course, and uh, it's a lot of money. And it's from somebody who is not in the fitness space. But guess what? I'm going to take all these things and I'm going to adapt it to how it would work in fitness. And now, <coughs> sorry, and now, thank you. I'm going to be able to help more people in the fitness space learn how to integrate AI where a lot of people in the fitness space, they're just trying to learn from each other how to use AI, right? And so uh, sometimes you need to step out of the fitness space, but 
what's beautiful about the fitness community is when you are, especially when you're first starting and when you um, need to do something specific in the fitness space, you need somebody who's already done that. And so it's really easy and simple and accommodating to go find a mentor that's like, hey, I've already built, I've already scaled a company, I've already done online training and help you set up the systems and stuff. So great point. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've, I've had some, you know, some friends who, who went to school for business and various things and I've talked to them about my business and they give me some recommendations. I'm like, yeah, that, that works in like a, an accounting firm, but like, that's not how, that's not how fitness works. Like no one, that doesn't make any sense. And I think the other part about getting outside of the industry, which I've been making a strong effort to, to do more of over the last six, six, eight months is, is to put ourselves in the minds of the people who are looking for fitness services. If we only talk to fitness people, like we're just all speaking the same language and that's not the language that other people are speaking. Like a perfect example of this happened like three days ago. My dad sent me this like company. I don't remember the name of the company, but it doesn't matter. And it was like a protein coffee thing. Like it was a pre-mixed like cold brew with protein in it. And he's like, hey, have you heard of this? And I said, no, like it sounds like something I would never want to have for myself. But like people obviously want this thing. And like, I would never think about that. Like, that sounds like a dumb idea to me, mm-hmm. but there's nothing wrong with it, but like people want it. And so it's like, I kind of wish I was like, uh, you know, a little bit less, uh, I don't know what the word is, but like I was able to think outside of my own bubble to, to figure, figure out those things. Cause it's a great idea. If it's helping people get protein in and like, you know, there's no harmful chemicals and I don't know details of it, but it doesn't matter if it's like helping people then, then like, then that's great, right? It's just, but you got to get outside of the fitness bubble of like, oh, you can just eat chicken to get that. Yeah. But that's not how people operate. People want like a ready-made something or other that's going to like help them hit their fitness goals. And if they're getting more protein in, then like, then I'm all for that. But you got to, we got to get out of our own heads a little bit with that. Yeah, people, people, I mean, I think about this, like I fell in love with working out at 12 years old and I've been doing it consistently for 26 years now, right? And so, other people don't like lifting weights. <laughs> yeah, other people don't, other people are intimidated by going. So what I had to learn, especially like over the last four or five years is like, you got to meet people where they're at. Right. And you've got to also think like if, if you, if the very thing that you're coaching people through, I, I talk about this a lot, right? You either turn your mess into your message or you, you had a mentor that showed you or you learned certification or, however you learned what you're good at, that you walk people through the process and see the results. Now, if you were the person that turned your mess into your message, when you went through whatever you went through and you got to the end point, you got to look back and start thinking about what were those roadblocks, right? But then at the same time, you got to look back at where in is your potential client, where in their tra- in that trajectory are they at? Are they in the middle of where you were, because if they were, you can remember, you can go back and think about what was the language I was using back then? What was I thinking about? What was I, right? Like if you think about pre-COVID and post-COVID, like what are the conversations at the dinner table like now? <laughs> are they different? Of course they're different, right? So what are they, What what is, what's different? It's, you can't speak to them from where you're at right now and use the words and the language and because they aren't there yet. You've got to go back and think about, oh, I remember when I was here, right? And this is where they're at. And I remember what I was thinking. And I remember what used to keep me up at night. And I remember what my goals were, even though now that I'm here, my goals were different. I realized my goals are different. But what was I thinking at that point, 
right? And so you've got to get into their head at where they're currently at, not where you're at, where you think you they need to go. What does winning look like to them? Because it's not going to be the same as what it looks like to you. Is it is it ecstatic when they get there? Are they super happy? Are they ready to do the next thing? Or they're just like, I like this. I want to be right here. This is where I want to stay, right? So you, you can't make those assumptions. You have to go back and, and figure out like where are they at in that process. Yeah, I think, you know, to start to sum to sum this up is like to, to bring that back into, you know, an, an individual's fitness who may be listening to this is like, you also have to be very conscious of where you're at. When you're looking on social media and you see, you know, your favorite fitness influencer hit a, you know, 550 pound deadlift, like that's not where you're at, unless you are. And by all means, like, you know, do your thing if you can do that. But like, if that's not where you're at, like, don't compare yourself to that. Like if you got out and you went to the gym three times this week and you've never hit the gym three times in a week before, like that's a good win. And we'll take that and like keep moving forward and, and keep progressing at that. But like just being very honest about where you're at and being, being aware of it first and then saying it to yourself and then working on making progress, uh, from there. And I think that's really probably like the real take home message from, from this whole conversation. I think Derek, I want to be yeah, very, very good. respectful of, of your time. I know that yeah. we're, we're, you know, kind of cutting, kind of close here. Um, do you have any information about uh, Raise the Bar next year or any other events or anything coming up that you want to like, you know, rattle off for, for anyone for, for the rest uh, of the We do. We don't have an exact date for Raise the Bar. We know it'll be in February again. Uh, we, you know, the, the process of looking for um, the hotel on the specific dates is a, is a lengthy one. And so we're looking at the end of February again, but we don't know exactly which weekend. Um, in Dallas probably again? Probably make some changes. What's that? In Dallas again? In Dallas again. It'll be in Dallas, Texas um, in February. And then we are going to be putting on a workshop here in the next probably three months. We haven't completely set the dates, but obviously when we get those done, we'll we'll be sending that out and let you know. Um, yeah. So Amazing. Derek, thank you so much for your time. I, we, we can definitely keep going, but you know, I think we've left a lot of a lot for people to, to think about in this conversation. Is there anything, well, first of all, what's your contact info? I'll put it on the show notes, but if people want to get in touch with you, like how can they, how can they find you? Yeah. At, at find your prime is uh, social media, um, Instagram, and then D Mendoza at find your prime.net is my email. Cool. I'll, yeah. I'll throw that in the, in the show notes for people as well. Derek, is there any last message that you want to leave the people with here in closing? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think going to your last message, uh, when you start thinking about it, this whole imposter syndrome comes up because um, a lot of times you start looking at what other people are doing. And if you can ever get to a point where you understand it's basically you against you, right? It's it's you competing against you that day of, of you trying to get to your better version. And it doesn't matter what other people look like, what other people feel like, how much better they are or worse they are than you, in your opinion. Uh, if you can get to the point where it's you against you, you're going to make it a lot further and that imposter syndrome is going to come up less and less. Beautiful message. Something that everyone should take to heart and really consider and go back and re-listen to the parts of this, like this, the pieces where Derek was speaking for a long period of time, like go back and really listen to that because there's a lot of like really important nuggets in there. And like, this is one that you should probably listen to. This is an episode that you should probably listen to two or three times. Derek, thanks again so much, man. Uh, find your prime on Instagram and I'll throw your email and whatnot in the in the show notes as well. Um, make sure you send this episode to a friend and share it with the people who need to hear it with your coach or with if you're a coach with your friends who are also coaches and, and whatnot. Um, follow me on Instagram as well at Daniel Yours. Like, share, subscribe on, you know, leave a rating on 
iTunes, Spotify, all the places. And that's it. Go outside. Be a good person. We'll chat soon.